Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Galloway's Eye. Here we aim to bring you information on our services and activities as well as some entertaining sound bites outside of the world of Galloway's. There are numerous ways you can listen to us. We can send you CDs or you can find us on our Galloway's Alexa skill, our website or British Wireless for the Blind Fund. And don't forget, we are still here for you. You can call us on 01772 144148 and speak to our sight loss advisors. Coming up, track two. It's all systems go as our Broomy Sunshine Cafe is now open. Catch up on what has been going on there with Emma. This interview is courtesy of Jill and Bob's Galloway's Get Together podcast. Track three, as we kick off the month with Volunteers Week, Angie gives a shout out to all our volunteers and we hear from Will and Anne about why they like volunteering with us. Track four, did you know there are at least six awareness days or weeks in the month of June? So Jill and Bob give us a lowdown on a few of the lesser known eye conditions. Track five, We chat with new ECHO Paula as she talks about what support is on offer for people through our ECHO services. Track 6. James gives us an update on what is coming up in the Get Active events calendar. Track 7. Charlotte has a new fundraising challenge guaranteed to get you in shape. Track 8. Grab a brew and relax for a few minutes as we have two more inspiring tales from members of the storytelling group. Track 9. Holly has some exciting news about how you could win up to £250 through our Super Summer Draw. And finally, track 10. We chat to Seema about her challenges whilst training to become the first visually impaired accountant in the UK. Our Broomy Sunshine Cafe in Morecambe has been open for a few weeks now and it has been great seeing you all. If you have not been in yet, please don't be a stranger as we really would love to see you. To celebrate the reopening, your favourite radio presenters, Jill and Bob, recorded a special Broomy Sunshine themed podcast for Galloway's Get Together. They have kindly let us use their interview with Broomy Sunshine staff member Emma as she discusses the importance of the cafe to our community. All the customers are always so lovely. We have so many um, regular customers and new customers, and it, it's, it's in the name Broomy Sunshine. I think the the brews must must be doing something to make everyone so happy. And so you have a lot of your customers who come on a regular basis, do you? We do. Yeah, um, there's plenty of regular customers that that we see pretty much every day, really. And um, it's always a pleasure seeing them, seeing the smiley faces all the time. We have such a great connection with our regular customers that even sometimes if I've been out, um, you know, just walking around doing my daily shopping, I actually sometimes see them and, and we'll say hello to each other and have a have a quick little catch up. And we look forward to seeing each other next in the coffee shop. So the coffee shop being closed has been quite a dramatic thing for everybody then, hasn't it? 
Some of our customers um, were actually quite emotional at the shutting of the, the coffee shop. I mean, um, you know, a lot of them were sort of saying that they don't know what they'll do when we close. And, and that's quite sad for us to sort of hear because, you know, we, we care a lot about our customers. And during the coronavirus pandemic and the heat of it, we had to bring in some new sort of regulations where we turned more to sort of a waiting on service. So we actually had a lot more opportunity to really talk more to the customers more than we ever actually did so that was quite nice actually and just sort of making sure that not only is the coffee great but are they okay you know that that's kind of what we what we what's special about us. So you think that will you continue to perhaps chat more to the customers than you did pre-pandemic or do you think? Oh yeah obviously the the pandemic overall is it's horrendous you can't deny that it's a very sad time for a lot of people but at the same time it's kind of brung people closer together you know and I think everyone will be dying to sort of talk about you know how, how's it been like I say we we have a good connection with with the regular customers and they're always asking us how are we just as much as we're asking them how are they and and you know that's just really lovely for us. So when the customers come in can you because you know some of them so well are yeah. you able to maybe note if they're not so good or? You can tell um, often uh, whether or not a customer is sort of down in the dumps and if that is the case then we don't just dismiss it we do we do notice these things and um we we will go over and go out of our way to actually sometimes even sit down with them and and uh, I'll just say to my colleague you know are you all right just to carry on sort of working and whatnot if it's quiet and I'll I'll go over and sit down and have a chat and they do um, come out of the cafe actually feeling a hundred times better. Oh, that's Just amazing! That's yeah. that's that's lovely, and yeah. and obviously as well as uh, it being a cafe, you there is support and help for people with sight loss. So yeah. are you involved in that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, we we have a lot of people that that come into the coffee shop every now and then, and and um, you know, they have visual um, impairment or they know someone of visual impairment and. Often they do come to the coffee shop for just a coffee, but with the intention of finding out more, obviously, through Galloway's. And um, we're more than happy to pass them on to our great Galloway's team um, that are located in our Morecambe Brewery Sunshine. But the main thing that we do as the sort of coffee shop workers, if you like to say, is that we just make sure that they're having a, a good, comfortable time in our in our cafe and we can directly uh, give them advice from Galloway's, we can send them straight to the people that work at Galloway's at Morecambe. The best part of my job working at Bremi Sunshine is seeing everybody just happy. You know, it's it's such a happy, friendly environment. And there's not really many places that I know of like that. Uh, I wouldn't change my job for the world. I think it's great. And all the regular customers are lovely. And we look forward to seeing new customers and showing them all of our new menu items. <laughs> We have been celebrating Volunteers Week, which this year was from June the 1st to June the 7th. I am incredibly proud of all our volunteers who have dedicated their time to ensuring visually impaired people do not feel forgotten during the pandemic. They have offered immense support over the phone and have been keeping people entertained and informed through the Talking News and Galloway's Get Together podcast. Others have provided practical help through patient transport and general maintenance and gardening in Howick.
Without their help, we would not be able to provide the services that we do. And this means a lot to our blind and partially sighted community. So on behalf of everyone at Galloway's, I wish to say a big, big thank you. Just listen to what some of our volunteers, Will and Anne, say about why they like helping out. Why do you like volunteering? I get to create a really nice relationship with the people that I am doing those activities with every week. Why should people volunteer? It appeals to the people who want to make a difference and have the time and motivation to do that. And that links in with what the people get out of it because a lot of life skills and a lot of um, development of certain traits like your kindness and compassion as well as Galloway's getting the immensely powerful resource of motivated people to deliver the programs and activities. Why should people volunteer for Galloway's? Because they would give you all the training and all of the people they introduce you to and the people you get to work with, really, really, really nice. I'm still doing bits and I want to go and help out with the Morecambe Bay Walk that's happening in the start of August, end of July. I'm one of our volunteers who's been helping out for the talking newspapers and the, the walking group for quite a while. So, Anne, what got you into volunteering for us? Well, it was actually a friend who said Galloway's are looking for uh, people to volunteer to do the talking newspaper. And we'd recently retired, and I thought, oh, that's something I'd really quite enjoy doing. And that's where it started. Um, so we did the talking newspaper for quite a long time. And then, of course, James started his activities, with, which we've absolutely loved, because walking and meeting such a great group of people and having all the different experiences and the different walks that we go in on has been brilliant, brilliant. We've learned such a lot from it, and hopefully we've been able to give a bit of support to the people that we've walked with as well, which has been really good. Okay, so would you recommend volunteering for Galloway's to anybody else? Absolutely, absolutely. And um, we often talk about it to our friends as well. Uh, very often people come up to retirement age and they're looking for something that they feel they could be part of. I think a lot of people are quite nervous about doing things like uh, the recording in the studio, but they don't realise that they will get a lot of support and that they can practice and that really if you make a mistake you just put your hand up and go over it again and that you grow in confidence. Uh, there's lots of people out there who love walking and who would very much like to be part of a group. And although, I mean, today, you know, the, we just started again after COVID and our walks are sort of four to five miles, we've done less than that and more of that, depending on the ability of the group that's, that we're out with. Um, and we really have, you know, got great memories of lots of the walks that we've done. OK, thanks, Anne. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. If you would like to share in the joy volunteering brings to your community, please give me a call on 01772 744 148.
Did you know in June, it's Cataracts Awareness Month? Thus there are at least five different awareness days, or weeks, related to sight loss. June the 13th is Albinism Awareness Day. June the 20th is Nystagmus Awareness Day. And June the 23rd is Ameridian Awareness Day. On June the 21st to the 27th, it's Macula Week and Deaf and Blind Awareness Week. So we thought we would give you a little information on some of the lesser-known eye conditions. Albinism, Nystagmus, Aniridia. Albinism and Nystagmus. People with albinism have a reduced amount of melanin, which is the pigment that colours skin, hair and eyes. This can affect their eyesight because melanin is involved in the development of the retina, the thin layer of cells at the back of the eye. Possible eye problems linked to albinism include poor eyesight, either short-sightedness or long-sightedness, and low vision. Astigmatism, where the cornea is not perfectly curved or the lens is an abnormal shape, causing blurred vision. Photophobia, where the eyes are sensitive to light. Or nystagmus where the eyes move involuntarily from side to side, causing reduced vision. You don't see the world as wobbling because your brain adapts to your eye movement. Squint, where the eyes point in different directions. Although there's no cure for this eye problem caused by albinism, there are a number of treatments such as glasses and contact lenses and low-vision aids that can improve vision. There currently is no cure for nystagmus. However, it is not painful and does not get worse. Surgery involving dividing and then reattaching some of the eye muscles may sometimes be an option. The main treatments for squinting are glasses, eye exercise, surgery and injections into the eye muscles. If your child has developed a lazy eye, they may benefit from wearing an eye patch over their good eye to encourage their other eye to work harder. Aniridia. Aniridia is a rare condition where a child is born without an iris, so there's no way to control the amount of light that enters the eye. Therefore, people with aniridia can experience dazzle, particularly in bright conditions, or difficulty adjusting as light levels change, reducing vision. As well as having an impact on sight, the light sensitivity, known as photophobia, that they experience can cause discomfort or headaches. Aniridia nearly always causes other parts of the eye to be underdeveloped, such as the optic nerve and the fovea, and can also cause nystagmus. These conditions can also affect vision in addition to the lack of iris. People with aniridia may also develop other eye conditions such as glaucoma, cataract or corneal problems. These other effects on the eye have a larger impact on sight than the large pupil or lack of iris itself. Aniridia and these associated conditions affect everyone differently. So while some people with aniridia may have quite a lot of sight loss, others may only have mild blurred vision.
Unfortunately, there is no treatment to cure aniridia at the moment. There are treatments available for some of the eye conditions associated with aniridia, such as cataracts, glaucoma or keratopathy. People who are light-sensitive find that bright light causes discomfort. Many people with aniridia find that shielding their eyes with the sun hats or glasses or tinted glasses can help. Some people with aniridia may have a special coloured contact lens fitted. This acts as an artificial iris and reduces light sensitivity. However, these may not be suitable for everybody with aniridia due to the risk that they can have to the cornea and keratopathy. Similarly, for some people who need cataract surgery, a special coloured artificial implant can be placed inside the eye during cataract surgery to reduce glare. This may be part of your intraocular lens implant or an additional implant. However, this is only carried out very rarely because it can make cataract surgery more risky. Our ECLO service is really important to us and so we are excited to introduce you to our new eye clinic liaison officer, Paula Horton, who will be working alongside Glenn Sheeder. Paula will be at the eye clinic at Royal Lancaster Infirmary two days a week. Here she is telling us more about what she does. Hello, I'm Paula Horton. I'm the eye clinic liaison officer working for Galloway's. I work at the Royal Lancaster Infirmary at the moment. Joined in September, I got extensive training for my senior ECLO. And then I also attended a course run by the RNIB and City University. That was in October. That was um, the eye clinic support studies. So again, the qualification, which covers everything, you know, registration, it covers the eye conditions, the eye journeys, you know, of the um, ECLO role really so it's everything and then I've been in clinic since November uh, working at the Royal Lancaster Infirmary. Can you give us a bit of background what you did before joining Galloway's? Yes so before I joined Galloway's I worked for Lancashire County Council uh, as a primary school teacher so I spent 13 years working in schools across Lancashire I was an early years teacher and spent the last four and a half years working in a year one and then a reception class in a fantastic village school in Rosendale. So it was a complete change of uh, job. So what made you want to join Galloway's? Well, um, before I joined Galloway's, I had been supported by two brilliant Eclos at both Royal Preston Hospital and Royal Blackburn Hospital. Um, at this time, I was struggling with deteriorating eyesight myself. I have a, a rare genetic condition that causes symptoms of wet AMD. I'd been having regular injections in both eyes for over nine years, which had helped keep my eye condition stable. But then in 2018, I noticed over a few days that my vision was deteriorating. So this was a very scary time for me. I was working full time as a teacher. I was supporting both my sons through the university. So the emotional impact of this and my financial worries were huge. The ECLOS directed me to the Low Vision Service, where I was given access to a variety of vision aids that made my life much easier. So I was referred for employment and financial advice. I was given emotional support. 
and was offered counselling, which was also extremely helpful. So after this, I decided that I would try to pursue the role of an eclore. And then the post at Galloway's came up, so I knew about all their fantastic work in the community. So that's why I applied for the post. So I can really understand how they're feeling, you know, the emotional impact's huge. It's a scary time. So yes, I, 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 you know, I feel all the things that they're feeling at that time. and I can understand it completely. And, and why do you think it is important for ECLOs to be at hospitals and why um, people with visual impairments need ECLOs? Being told that you have a sight condition or that your sight condition is deteriorating or that there is no treatment options can be very upsetting. Uh, so I strongly believe that early intervention and support from the ECLO can have a huge positive impact on a person experiencing this. Many people have so many questions or just need to take in what they've been told. So the ECLOs have the time to listen and talk through any queries that people may have regarding their condition or treatment options. Do you want to tell us what you do in your, your job? Day-to-day role, I offer emotional and practical support to people of all ages affected by sight loss and their families or carers to hopefully help people cope better with the emotional and psychological, social and any other difficulties that may arise following sight loss or at registration. I offer an initial screening um, assessment. This is either over the telephone or in person and if necessary necessary and agreed with the person I refer them to appropriate agencies and organisations to meet their needs. I also discuss falls prevention with the people and if necessary refer them to falls preventions team. I advise on eye health. I also if someone's been registered as sight impaired or severely sight impaired I discuss the registration process as well, you know, offer obviously the emotional and practical support. I'm just there to listen. Of course. And what do you like about your job? Just the variety. Every day is different. I love to be able to work with people of all ages and I'm able to give practical and emotional advice that will hopefully make a difference to someone who is living with sight loss. So that's a huge uh, benefit for me. I think I'd just like to mention that if anyone is worried about their vision, just do not hesitate to contact the hospital or opticians because they are still open and just to get checked, you know, because we are still there for everyone. Great. And do you want to just give us your contact details? My name's Paula Horton. I've got an email address, paula.horton at galloways.org.uk. And my mobile number is 07498-795-521. Hello everyone, James here with a quick update on the Get Active programme here at Galloway's. Uh, We have returned with some of our walking groups um, on the last few weeks um, following the lifting of some of the restrictions during COVID. We are now able to take groups of up to 30, the current current guidelines are up to 30 uh, in an outdoor setting. So the walks we have planned coming up are on the 14th of June. We've got a walk from Lancaster train station and that will be going along the uh, cycle route to 
finish at Broomy Sunshine, our cafe in Morecambe. Um, that's at 12 o'clock and at 10 o'clock in the morning we'll be having a gentle stroll for those that just want to, to come along and have a, a short gentle stroll of around about a mile to a mile and a half. So we're trying to put some walks on that will we'll cater for all people. So on the 21st we've got a walk which is going to be in Preston again probably starting from the train station and we'll have the the short stroll at 10 a.m and then there'll be a longer walk at 12. the following week on the 28th we'll be in chorley and this will start from outside our office in farrington street in chorley again we'll have a gentle stroll at 10 o'clock followed by a longer a longer walk around about 12. Then on the 5th of July, we're back in Southport. And again, that's going to follow the same uh, same pattern. 10 o'clock for a, a gentle stroll and 12 o'clock for a longer walk. And then on the 12th of July, we're back in Lancaster again. Again, a short walk at 10 o'clock and a longer walk at 12. We also have some provisional dates for sailing at Rivington. Um, now this is to give people a chance to, to have a go at sailing. Some people have done it before, no experience needed. Uh, so we've got provisional dates for these are the 30th of June, um, which is something suitable for everyone. Then we've got on the 28th of July, we've got another session, which we're aiming for to just to try and put something on different for, for younger people. And that will be a session for 18 to 25 year olds. Then again, on the 4th of August, we've got a sailing group, which is for, for any, any age. And then on the 25th of August, we've got another group for the 18 to 25 year olds. Reason we're doing that is just to, to try, and, um, try and cater for everybody really. So those are just provisional dates. They are yet to be confirmed. So if you're interested in any of those dates for sailing, just drop me a line or give me a call on 01772 744148 and I can give you more information and details about that. Looking forward to October, we've got our popular driving day back. That's the 18th of October. And again, this is going to be subject to restrictions and things. Hopefully we won't have any, any more coming up. But that's planned for 18th of October at Three Sisters in Wigan. Yeah, you'll get the chance to drive a school of motoring car around the track. You'll also get a chance to have some passenger rides in Porsches of different kinds. And also passenger rides in various different sorts of sports cars. So that's the 18th of October. And then starting in July, 9th of July, we've teamed up with Lancashire Wildlife Trust in Whitton Park in Blackburn for a six-week sessions of wildlife walks, gardening, and the chance at having a go at tandem cycling. That's all based in Whitton Park, and that starts on the 9th of July. And all these the six-week sessions will be on a, a Friday sort of Friday morning and Friday afternoon. So we're working with Lancashire Wildlife Trust um, and Andy, who, who works there, is going to be 
giving us some information on different sorts of gardening that you can do and also taking us on a wildlife walk to show us some of the wildlife that can be found in the, the Whitton Park area. And there's also the chance of uh, having a go at cycling there um, on the tandems from Whitton Park Cycle Centre. So if you're interested in that one again, just give me a call. The number, as always, is 01772 744 148. And hopefully we shall look forward to seeing you on some of the events coming up. So thanks for listening and we'll take, take care and we'll see you all soon. Thank you. So are you ready for the challenge? This June, we are squatting on June and we're asking everybody to try and do 100 squats per day throughout the month. If it's something that you think you can do or you want to have a go, then please do get in touch with events at galleries.org.uk and we can get you started. And also a quick reminder that our Morecambe Bay Walk is coming up on Saturday the 31st and Sunday the 1st of August. Places are selling out really fast. If you don't want to miss out on, su on such an iconic walk, then please do sign up by visiting www.galloways.org.uk forward slash events and hopefully I look forward to seeing you on the sands this summer. During the last edition of Galloway's Eye, you all heard about our storytelling sessions with Elizabeth Wainwright, thanks to a grant from the Doily Cart Charitable Trust. Here we have two more stories from the group for you to listen to. My story today is all about a girl called Tara, who's backpacking around South America with some friends. And they've travelled through Argentina, through Tierra del Fuego, and they've arrived at Ushuaia the southernmost port of South America. And Tara's friends are all going on a cruise. They're going on a cruise through to Chile to visit the glaciers and fjords. But Tara can't go because she hasn't enough money. So she's sat on the bench and she's looking out at the sea, feeling so fed up because she can't go with her friends. And what am I going to do for the next three days? And while she's sat there, she hears a little squeak. And she looks, what's going on? Back in front of her, there's a penguin walking along the harbour wall. And this penguin, she's amazed she looks around, there's nobody with the penguin. It's about two foot high. And as it goes past her, it looks at her, as if saying to her, come and follow me. Off the penguin goes. So she gets up and is after the penguin. Still following it, it gets to the gangway of the ship that's moored in the harbour. The penguin disappears up the gangway and she follows it. It goes onto the ship and it goes down this dark passageway. So she goes with it down the dark passageway. She can't see at all. It's so dark. Can you imagine that? Put your hands out in front of you. Because as she goes through the door, it slams shut behind her. She can't see a thing. Oh, she's feeling for the walls on each side of her. 
to make sure she knows where she is. And then in front of her, she sees a light, a little tiny light. And as she walks along the corridor, it gets lighter and lighter and brighter and brighter and whiter until she comes to an archway. And the archway is white. And it's taken her through to a world of the ice. And she remembers the title of the boat that was moored in the dock was Tierra del Blase, World of Ice. Just as she's about to step through onto this ice, she sees a shelving rack on her right-hand side, and there's a big poster that says, Get your ice gear here. So she puts on some crampons on her boots. She puts a helmet on her head. She grabs an ice pick. And off she goes onto the ice, slithering and sliding. Oh, gosh, it's so cold. Zip up your jacket. Make sure you've got your woolly hats on and your gloves because we're in an ice corridor. On each side, there's this ice, which is getting narrower and narrower. To my front, touching my nose, I've got a wall of ice. To my back, touching my shoulder blades, I've got a wall of ice. I'm shimmying through this corridor in order to get to the other side. Find the penguin. Where is it? There in front of me. But there's a big gap in front. And I look down and I can't see the bottom. It's a nice crevice. But I've got my ice pick, which I plunge into the wall. And I grab hold of the handle and just like Tarzan, I swing across the crevice and land on the other side where the penguin was two minutes ago, slithering, sliding on the slippy ice. Once again, I scramble up this little ice bank, following the penguin that disappears over the edge. Listen this cavern, this huge ice cavern. It's a canyon. I look up, and above me, there's towers of shining, sparkling ice reaching 60 foot up to a blue sky. And below me is a glacial lake, and it's blue reflecting the sky. And all around me are penguins, hundreds and hundreds of penguins, all squeaking and they're diving in and out of the glacial lake. Some are standing majestically on ledges. And all around me, I can hear the ice cracking in her all around me, all the ice, and then those huge chunks of ice come crashing down from the glacier, landing in the glacial lake below me. Get out my phone, and I think, I've got to record this. Nobody will ever believe me otherwise. Get my mobile phone up and video the penguins and the ice. And as I'm doing it, suddenly... Everything goes white. Everything goes white. I can't see. I have to screw up my eyes because it is so bright, a blinding light. And But I open my eyes. What's happened? Where's the ice gone? Where's the penguins gone? I'm just sat on my bench at the harbour wall. But on the floor in front of me is a stuffed penguin. That's all that's left. Did I dream this? And then I remember my mobile phone. 
and I go through my mobile phone and I search through so I find photos and I scroll through the video and there it is. Oh, I saw the penguins stored in my mobile phone. But who would believe this fantastic story? Would my friends really believe I have this amazing adventure? Would you believe me? Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Super. I went to St. Mark's Square, only it was on the television. With my television, you can get YouTube, and you press a button, and then you ask YouTube to take you a walk. So it's an exercise. I was in St. Mark's Square, where I'd been many years before when I was much younger, and I walked walked with the television camera, a video, around St. Mark's, past the Campanile and the Basilica, and the officers of trade, and uh, well, where the people gather to to gossip. And I looked up at the clock tower. I'd been up there once, but I couldn't go on the television. I told myself it's just that when I was looking up at the clock tower in St. Mark's Square, I saw the figures on the clock moving back and two. And then there was a figure up there, someone I knew. And he grinned at me from the height. Then he disappeared. I thought it was in my imagination because, of course, he couldn't have been there. He was there 20 years ago, looking exactly the same. So he couldn't be. Um, anyway, I carry on walking around St. Mark's Square. This is an exercise, you see. It's, a t- it's an exercise to get you fit. You're walking with the video around the square. To get, and um, it's, it's quite a big square, St. Mark's. And it tells you all the buildings for this and the buildings for that. And it goes to the um, the last bit of earth on St. Mark's Square, where you just meet the canals. And there was a gondola going past it on the canal. And he was there again, grinning at me. Um, so I, anyway, I had to stop saying, this is ridiculous, he can't be here. This is a television video, and and it was made without him. Years ago. Uh, and then when I went back past the uh, Campanile, he was in the doorway. And so was I, which was very confusing on account of... I wasn't on the television set, obviously. He sort of said, Buena Norte. And I said, it's not night at all, because that meant... It's a beautiful night, and this is a beautiful night. It was the middle of the afternoon in the video, and the bright sun was shining on the on the square, and the, the flagstones were shining bright and clean as they always do, and the pigeons were gathering, looking for bits of everybody's lunch, and I looked at the pigeons, and I fed them. I was getting terribly confused by this time. What on earth was I doing in the middle of St. Mark's Square? And I'd actually just been in my living room watching with the video. But here I was on a sunny evening in Italy, and it was warm, and his name was Pietro. And I'd known him 20 years ago, but I'm over 70. No, it was actually it was 50 years ago since I knew him. And, uh, yeah, because I'm over 70, and he was about 20. But he didn't notice that I was over 70. And... Then his warm hand was holding mine, 
and he walked me round the square, all around the square. And I had to put a headscarf on because we were going in the Basilica. The models in the side of church, an ancient church. But anyway, we walked around the Basilica inside because it does do tourist things. And I was full of memories of being here all those years ago when I was young. And I loved it. And the smells even came to me. The smell of uh, spices and and incense and lots of people because it gets warm and, well, quite strong and ripe in a warm place where there's lots of people. And there were lots of people, but I couldn't hear them. I could only hear Pietro. And then I had to come up to the exit again into the bright, bright sunshine of afternoon in Italy and into my living room, and he wasn't there anymore. I decided to turn the television off for my own sanity's sake and wondered just what I'd seen. But it was nice while it lasted. We are thrilled that we are once again able to offer our supporters a prize draw to take part in. It's a great way of raising much-needed funds in a very difficult period for charities, whilst also adding a bit of excitement to the process by having the opportunity to win some cash prizes. Tickets cost £1 each, and first prize is £250 cash, and there are other cash prizes and a carvery for two up for grabs. This is also the first time that Galloway's have ever held a raffle through a digital platform. It's a faster and easier way of selling tickets in the hope that we can attract more people to support our wonderful cause and make the process more flexible for those who prefer to do things online. We would love supporters to use the platform to buy their raffle tickets for the summer draw and let us know what they think of the process. It's great to have the Galloway's community on board. Just visit www.galloways.org.uk and you'll be able to find a link to buy tickets on the homepage. You can also buy traditional paper tickets direct from Galloway's by phoning 01772 744 148 or email holly.atkinson at And thanks for your support of our summer draw. sight at any age can be devastating and can leave you feeling like you have very few options. But our next guest is here to talk about all the things that can still be achieved as she champions the right for nurturing skills to help blind and partially sighted people find employment. Seema Ashraf started losing her vision in her early years and while she encountered many challenges in accessing courses and taking exams, she became the first registered blind chartered public finance accountant back in 2013. Never one to take a back seat, she is now a governor of St Vincent's School for the Sensory Impaired in Liverpool. She is also a presenter for the Pendle Community Radio Station, AWAS 103.1 FM, and as some of you may remember from our last edition of Galloway's Eye, Sema is supporting our work in reaching out to the British, Black, Asian and minority ethnic community. We enjoyed chatting to her so much, we invited her back to discuss her achievements and to encourage others never to give up. Hi, Seema. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Nathalie. Thank you for having me. Brilliant. 
So uh, you lost your sight at an early age, is, is that right? Yes, um, between the age of kind of 10 and 12, I started experiencing what inevitably was um, sight loss. Uh, obviously, at that age, you don't quite understand what's going on. Uh, I noticed when I was playing in the playground or when I was trying to read off the blackboard, I was struggling to read. Uh, and so that's when I um, started copying of kids sat next to me of their books, etc. Um, and didn't really think that there's anything to do with the eyes or any issue going on. Uh, and then a nurse came into school to do an eye test. And that was the first time that I realised that there was a, a problem because even when I looked at the chart, I remember sitting there thinking I could see a lot of them letters that I'm struggling to read now. Uh, and that was the beginning really where she referred me to uh, Manchester Royal Eye Hospital. Um, I'm from Blackburn, so obviously Blackburn Hospital and Preston as well. And then that started the next few years of uh, lots of visits to hospitals and trying to understand what's going on. Uh, and then it wasn't until I was age 17 uh, when I had to ask the hospital to give me a diagnosis because um, you'll hear about it later, you know where I was quite academic and I wanted to continue to study and the support I'd found out ends when you're 18. So um, basically um, I had to ask them that, you know, without having a registered disability, I'm not going to get any support. And that's when I was registered blind at 17 by Manchester Royal Eye Hospital with a condition called retinitis pigmentosa. And how did that make you feel, having that diagnosis? It was a really difficult time of my life. Um, you know, I was the youngest of five siblings, uh, three elder brothers. I'd spent kind of my young childhood and, and early teenage years following my three brothers around and playing football and cricket and these kind of sports. Uh, to suddenly start struggling playing them, I noticed when I was playing them, you know, I was able to see the ball. and So, you know, I started resenting uh, people and, and why me and up until the age of you know 15 16 I really struggled uh, with the disability uh, especially accepting that there was a problem and uh, getting a new assistance part of that was around in school you know I was treated the same as other visually impaired children and the school really struggled to uh, accept the fact that my sight loss was much severe compared to other kids. So things they were doing for them, they felt that when I, when I was saying that they didn't work for me, they, it was put down to being disruptive and not accepting my disability. And, and as you got older um, and um, sort of realised what you wanted to do as a career, did you think that your visual impairment um, made your lifestyle and education choices lim more limited? Well, I was very lucky um, to go to Blackburn College uh, because I started off going to a different college um, initially. And when I got to the first college, um, I realised that this is going to be a very similar experience to my high school. There was a real lack of support. Um, but then I'd heard about Blackburn College and how supportive they are and I decided to leave that college after a week and move to Blackburn College and it's one of the best decisions I made because age 16 I wasn't aware of the support that's out there 
I'd never experienced assistive technology. Um, and so yes, age 16, having had no experience of speed softwares, uh, scanners, etc., I did think that my options for education were limited. I had initially planned, uh, well, always thought that I wanted to be a barrister, but then difficulties of reading is the reason why I decided that going into law wasn't an option anymore, especially um, around not realizing the equipment and software that are out there. So back in, this is 1990, 2001, is when I attended college. And when I signed up for my A-levels, um, one of my very close uncles, who's been a real rock for me and a real guide in my life, um, said to me that you've always been really good at maths. Why don't you consider doing accounting? Why don't you start by doing the A-level and see what you think? And if you like it, you can progress as a career. So one of my A-levels I selected was uh, accounting. And then the support that I got at Blackburn College uh, with the one-to-one -one support where I had a note taker within every lesson. I had enough sight at the time that the note taker would be following whatever the teacher was doing on the whiteboard and in marker would be writing it down for me so I could follow in large print and understand the format of accounts, etc. So I wasn't falling behind. And in any subjects where I did feel I was struggling, I was able to let them know and they provided me with one-to-one -one tuition. Notes were provided to me in audio format. They were also provided in large print. And by this stage, I could read uh, 24 bold aerial and on yellow paper, because white paper caused a glare for me. So all these adjustments that were made allowed me to start uh, able to kind of study in, with all the extra aids. At the same time, they introduced me to the speech softwares available, like ZoomText, uh, which was a massive, uh, just a huge, huge help for me. Uh, and all these things were things I'd never experienced before, but they made using a computer so much easier for me. I was also trained on how to use the internet. Uh, and, and it just became a tool which helped me going forward throughout my studies. So having loved uh, the A-level accounting, I decided I was going to study accounting and finance as a degree. And that's when I started uh, applying to the different universities and applied to Lancaster University as well. After the two years experience that I had at Blackburn College, I evolved as a human being significantly uh, well over the two years where I was really shy and timid and embarrassed to accept that I had a disability. By age 18, I was very comfortable with having the disability and it wasn't something that I was ashamed or embarrassed about anymore. So when I reached university, one of the first things I did in the freshers week was I arranged a meeting with a disabilities officer and um, the, my head of department, somebody from the RNIB. And we literally had a meeting and I just put it to the department what I expected from them support-wise for the next three years. So this included uh, asking for lecture slides to be sent to me electronically so I could use Zoom text to read through them or use the speech software to listen to them. Uh, it meant that if there was any subjects that I found were too visual and I struggled following the lecture, it was my responsibility to notify the department and then they should provide me with one-to-one -one tuition. And I found over the next three years that um, 
Lancaster were absolutely fantastic. Uh, they really went out of their way uh, to make sure that they did accommodate the fact that they're a blind student. And then, so what did you do after university? How did you then qualify to be an accountant and what challenges did you overcome? I ended up taking a year out and then went back to university for my final year, which would be 2004-05. If we wanted to do accounting courses, etc., cetera, uh, and to become accountants, we need to get onto graduate trainee programme. Um, and so by the November, I had got, secured um, a graduate trainee auditor position with the Audit Commission, who were the, um, basically the public sector body that audited local government. I didn't end up starting um, in July or five, um, because once I'd graduated and then my uh, organization that was gonna be employed by got in touch uh, and wanted to make the office accessible and uh, implement all the adjustments that I needed. Um, it, it took another couple of months. It, I'd asked them to have training days with the staff on the next staff training day. I'd asked them to do a session for blind, visually impaired people. It's something I learned when I was at university. When I met a lot of my friends, uh, they informed me it was the first time they'd ever interacted with a blind person. And they loved the way that I was uh, vocal about explaining to them uh, what my needs were, how they could assist me. I don't think we appreciate and realise how the uh, able-bodied kind of sighted people, when they meet us, uh, they do panic on how they're going to support us and help us because if they are over the top, then we think they're patronising us. Uh, and if they don't assist us, then we think that they're arrogant and ignorant to our disability. Um, and so for that reason, I thought I need to... Um, kind of become more vocal and I, and, I'd, and I'd started being more vocal throughout my time uh, throughout university so this had been something that I had um, made part of my kind of part and parcel of life so this is why I had asked my company to um, uh, do the staff training there where then I could ask them to inform them of things like little things like um putting their laptop bags under the desks, tucking their chairs in. Um, the layout of the office was going to be where the desks would be pushed up against the walls and the space between the desks was clear, so there was no obstacles for me to walk into. Uh, having the white lines on, painted on stairs, because that made such a big difference for me when I was using stairs. Uh, having contrasting colours in the office, so if we had dark carpets and light furniture uh, and if it was uh, light carpets and you know dark furniture so little things that made a difference for me to make the office accessible and then when I started working my colleagues told me that that was one of the best training sessions they'd ever had uh, they had been absolutely enlightened uh, by the experience because again it was the first time that they had come across and and we're going to be working with a blind person. They had told me how they had felt a little bit of anxiety when they initially were told that the new trainee was uh, blind because they were concerned about how they would support and assist. So they'd really appreciated this idea that I'd had for them to have this training session. And they said that there were things that they just wouldn't have ever thought of normally. 
because they're just little things that don't even affect them. So once I started working for them, uh, the plan had been to start doing the chartered accountancy exams. But what ended up happening was we found that the um, materials that the board had were not accessible for me because they were only available in hard copy. Um, and by this stage, uh, my site had deteriorated even further. So large print was no longer an option. So reading um, the books in hard copy was going to be virtually impossible for me. Uh, and I needed it to be provided to me in electronic format. I ended up having to wait uh, to start my chartered accountancy exams. By the point where I did start them, um, it was actually uh, three years later, 2008, by which stage my friends who had left university with me were pretty much at the final stage of their exams because uh, the graduate trainee program is another three years worth of studying. And, you know, I did feel uh, kind of a bit let down and, and um, sad, you know, that my friends equivalent to me were pretty much qualifying and I was just starting. So that was the beginning of the journey. And I started studying for the exams. And whilst then studying, I ended up having to defer my exams on a couple of occasions because even though the board had gone to a lot of uh, trouble in um, getting the materials put into electronic format, even then sometimes they, they weren't compatible. So uh, eventually uh, in 2012, I got to the stage of the final stage, uh, which consisted uh, of two exams. And because one of the exams was meant to imitate the day in the life of an accountant, uh, it's called the case study exam. Uh, the case study exam was one of the most difficult exams of my life. Uh, you know, just under 12 hours, uh, absolutely exhausted and uh, really felt I can't put myself through that again. Thankfully, I did pass. Uh, I got the news in January 2013 that I passed. So much determination there to inspire others, really. Um, and obviously, you have overcome a lot of challenges in your education uh, and career to, to get to where you are. And you've been able to channel all those experiences to support others, haven't you? Like youngsters at St. Vincent School, because you're, you're now a governor there. Well, for me, you know, after having had, you know, such challenges through education, it's really important uh, that to make people realise that, you know, if you have the right determination, if you're given the correct support, uh, and, you know, as I said earlier, if you offer the solutions yourself, only when you experience the sight loss and until you don't experience the difficulty, it's very difficult for somebody else to appreciate and understand what the solution might be to the problem. So, and I didn't want anybody to go through what I had gone through, but yet at the same time, I wanted to encourage other youngsters uh, to realize and know that, you know, the sky is the limit. And, you know, even today in 2021, I am still the only registered blind chartered accountant. And I realize that this is a real uh, inspiration to other, other children out there. So whilst working for Merseyside Police in 2018, I was actually approached by St. Vincent's to become a mentor for the children. And it's when I visited the school, I found out about a lot of the work that's going on at the school, uh, a lot of the initiatives that are going on, and I felt I want to get involved with this. 
organization. And at that stage is when they offered me to become a governor of the school. So rather than just being a mentor, to actually have um, involvement with the day-to-day running of the school, etc. Through this, I've got involved now with um, many a project. Uh, and one of the main visions of the current headmaster, Dr. John Patterson, is to identify the skill that every single child has, to nurture that skill and to get each child to that point of where they are employable. Because 80% of blind, visually impaired people around the world are unemployed. And this is a statistic that I would love to improve. You know, having had 15 years now of a career in audit, uh, you know, and seeing the benefits of, of experiencing a, you know, a proper career. And this is something that I want all blind, visually impaired children to dream of and to aspire to in whatever field they want to go into. So the work at St. Vincent's involves uh, a day of, en- it's called enrichment every Wednesday, rather than the academic uh, syllabus that is taught there at the school, they have a day where other subjects are focused on and these are around, um, you know, kind of drama, music, uh, pottery, um, agriculture, gardening, you know, lots of different projects. And some of these projects have been commended, you know, nationally. So, um, you know, poetry that in 2020, one of our students in the, won the Journey for Peace essay and flew to the, uh, was flown out to New York with his mom. And he read his Journey for Peace essay at the UN, at the United Nations in New York in March 2020. He was then also invited to the Palace of Westminster at the House of Lords. And he read the uh, Journey for Peace essay there. Um, You know, these are experiences that children would just dream of. You know, our kids in 2018, uh, they, with the clay, they had made poppies out of clay. And they were invited to Buckingham Palace to present them to uh, Countess uh, Sophie uh, because she is the patron for Blind Veterans UK. And then at the same time, they were given to, um, they were invited to Downing Street to present them to Theresa May, who actually wore the poppy at Prime Minister's question. And they were also presented to other MPs in the Houses of Parliament so this is an experience that you know these children would never ever had 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 they not been at St. Vincent's. So part of this work is to mentor them. With them, we've also developed a site box which um, has sports equipment in there, uh, which has been designed by the children of St. Vincent's. And then we've managed to get rotary funding, and through rotary, we've sent that site box to blind children across the world in uh, over 16 countries uh, from including Indonesia, Ethiopia, Kenya, and many, many more. And our kids at St. Vincent's have become the trainers of these kids through online mediums. They will connect with them and they'll teach them how to use this equipment. And through them games, them children have learned skills of mobility, of independence. And we take it for granted in this country the experiences that we have here, the ability that we have here, the mobility that we have here. Um, you know, in them countries, children with vision impairments are expected and made to just sit in a room 
and to not have any uh, mobility and to not run around because everything's a danger. Uh, and so through these games, through these sports equipment, you know, their lives have been transformed. So these are all projects that, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of, really passionate of. And then in 2019, you know, the school decided that why not, uh, as it is a residential school, and we did have capacity for this, we decided to invite children over from one of the countries to train them to use uh, the cane, the white cane. Because again, in them countries, children don't have uh, white canes as we do here, and they're not taught uh, mobility skills with them and don't have any independence. And we started off with Indonesia because Indonesia has the highest population of blind children in the world. And um, that's because there is uh, a fly that infects children with blindness. And then we had eight children from eight different blind schools come. And we had eight teachers come from eight different schools. As a governor, I felt that, you know, we should do some fundraising because the school is bearing the cost of having them over for a couple of months where they were taught a mobility qualification through Liverpool John Moores University and St. Vincent's. So um, a fundraiser I organised was in Liverpool. It was a dinner and Kali night. Kali is a type of uh, Sufi folk music uh, kind of Muslim people. Um, and as part of that promotion, I went on Pendle Radio because obviously I was looking to sell the tickets, etc. for that event. Um, and when they met me at the station and they heard about all my work and achievements, uh, they approached me for presenting my own program. Uh, one of my very good friends was already a host on the station. Um, so initially we decided that I would co-host with him. So from uh, October uh, 2019 through to December, uh, me and my friend Zen Jarius, we co-hosted a program together. Um, and I just joined him on his show and I learned how to use the different systems, the faders, etc. The station did ask me if I needed additional equipment, but I didn't think there was any point for just a couple of hours a week for them to incur any costs or anything like that. And then on a couple of occasions, he, my friend, couldn't make it and I ended up doing the program on my own. This is when I built the confidence that I could actually do the show uh, solo. And this was the time then in December 19, I started talking to the station manager about my own show. And I really feel that, you know, community radio is a platform to educate the community, to bring topics to them that affect the community. And, I, and so I talked to the station manager about having my own current affairs program. Uh, so each week I bring different organizations, uh, championing local organizations that are doing excellent work in the community. I interview inspirational people. Uh, for example, I've interviewed uh, Fiaz Afzal, who is the only, uh, sorry, at the time was the only Asian blind judge who sits down in Coventry. Um, and I thought his story was inspirational. I've interviewed uh, Shabnam Yunus Jewel, who's a BBC sports journalist, uh, amongst various others. And the local celebrities, too, Blackburn, for this reason, so that, you know, people can... Uh, relate to them, they can aspire to be like them, to make them realise that, you know, from the small town of Blackburn, you can go on and achieve uh, all sorts. So, you know, I've interviewed um, Yakub Hussein MBE, who's a boxing coach and who has represented England in the 70s 
and runs a, a boxing club in Blackburn again and is a qualified referee and represents on the uh, board uh, around nationally around the world. So you know, these are people that are from this area. Um, as well as that, I talk about topics affecting the community. I've covered topics like mental health, uh, gambling addiction, drugs and alcoholism, uh, just to say a few. And for every programme I get an expert on, talked about honour-based violence, particularly focusing on forced marriage, uh, because most of the listenership are from the BIM community. Uh, and although some of these topics sound like they're not those that would be impacting them, but they certainly are, and the taboo topics that people don't really want to talk about, and that's the purpose of the programme, is to get them conversations going and to make sure that people within the community are, are highlighting these issues that are certainly there in the community. Fantastic. You've done a lot of work within the community and beyond just to highlight sight loss awareness um, challenges that people can face and how to overcome them and more importantly that you can still achieve your career aspirations and, and gain employment when you've got sight loss so thank you very much for, for joining us much appreciated yeah, thank you for the opportunity and hopefully if it inspires one person then it's worth it for me and and that's the main objective is to make people realize uh, that sight loss is not the end of the world uh, yes it's very difficult I'm not dismissing the fact that, you know, it's it's a journey and it takes a long time to reach the stage of becoming comfortable uh, with the sight loss. 